everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free, Joshua Tree. Now here on Myth in the Mojave is exploring the mythic dimension of life. So we're operating under the assumption that we're in an ongoing dialogue with the unseen. In Jungian terms, you could call these the unconscious or figures from the unconscious. And it's important to recognize that we're not limiting ourselves to the personal unconscious. When I talk about figures from the unconscious, I'm not talking only about the contents of your personal experience that you've repressed, that you have denied, made unconscious. I'm talking about the larger psychic field that we all live in and share. Now, these are all terms for the mystery, and you can feel free to substitute your own. But it's not just the mystery. It's Also, the only kind of reality that as human beings we actually know. The reality that is perceived and understood through this body and this thing that we call the mind, which is endlessly interpreting, creating symbols, stories, and extending itself by use of metaphors. Now, that's a big topic, but I've dipped into that a little bit because I want to use today's story, which is The Shoemaker and the Elves, a fairy tale from the Brothers Grimm, to continue talking about the creative process. And when I talk about creative process, I'm not talking strictly about what we think of as art and the creation of artistic products or artistic expression in all of its various forms. That's important, but I'm really talking more broadly about inspiration, about the energy that comes in when we have a really great idea or an impulse to do something or express something that is enlivening, that gives us a sense of vitality and connects us to that understanding that our lives are much bigger than we usually think. Now, this little fairy tale, it it is a little fairy tale, it's a very humble story. And it ostensibly deals with a theme that we're all very familiar with. Gratitude. Across cultures, times, paradigms, people have understood the importance of giving thanks and gifts, expressing gratitude, I'm imagining that you are among the number who appreciate the importance of this. It's a common feature of religious and spiritual practice, and it's also just a cornerstone of community and our relationships with other people. But when we express gratitude, we are embracing the fact that we're not acting alone. We're acknowledging that we have help in a myriad of forms and that we are part of a flow. What goes around comes around. 
paying it forward, all of these various ways that we have of expressing this. One antidote for alienation is regularly giving thanks, beginning with the so-called small things that regularly escape our notice. And this gratitude or reciprocity, that's the word I'm going to use, reciprocity is part of our relationship with these figures and forces of the mythic dimension. And that, of course, can be God or the cosmic consciousness or however you imagine and interact with that. But it can also be these ideas and inspirations and um, perhaps maybe less grand but valuable and active envoys from the mythic dimension. Now, I want to take this notion of reciprocity and this story of the shoemaker and the elves and use it to think a little bit about this interaction, the exchange, you know, what we give back when we receive the gift of creative inspiration. That is an enlivening idea or impulse that we act upon that enriches our lives. And how does that reciprocity or does that reciprocity become part of the process of making that gift our own? So this is all really kind of in the abstract. So let's turn to the story. I invite you, as always, to relax and just listen without really trying to figure it all out or figure out where I'm going with this. And pay particular attention to any of the details or the images that really capture your imagination. That's one of the reasons to use stories for reflection on topics like creativity and really any subject or experience in life because they provide images. And images are fuel for the imagination and imagination as we're coming more and more to understand, really is not just a faculty of human consciousness, but our primary way of being and thinking. On that note, The Shoemaker and the Elves, a fairy tale from the Brothers Grimm. Once upon a time, there was a shoemaker who fell onto hard times. He and his wife were very poor, Even though he worked very hard and was as honest as the rain, he still couldn't earn enough for them to live. Finally, all they had was gone, and the shoemaker had just enough money to buy leather to make one last pair of shoes. What does the future hold, he thought. But he cut his leather and he got everything ready to make the shoes, and he laid it out on his workbench, intending to rise very early the next morning to do the actual work of making the shoes. And despite all of his trouble, his heart was at ease. His conscience was clear. And so he said his prayers and peacefully went to bed and soon fell asleep. In the morning, after he had his simple breakfast, He went to his workbench, but standing in the place where he'd left those last bits of leather was a fine pair of shoes, already made. The shoemaker was astonished. 
How could this be? He carefully checked the workmanship and found that it was impeccable. There wasn't one false stitch in the whole job. It was all neat and true. The shoes were a masterpiece. That very same day, a customer came in, and he tried on the shoes, and he liked them so much that he willingly paid a much higher price than usual for them. Well, thought the shoemaker, now I have the money to buy leather to make two pairs of shoes. So he went and he bought the leather, and that evening he cut out the work once again, and he went to bed early so that he could start promptly the following day. But when he went to his workbench in the morning, he found that the work was already done. There stood two pairs of shoes, and they were just as fine and well-crafted as the one pair had been the day before. The shoemaker scratched his head. He didn't understand it. But soon in came some buyers who paid him so handsomely for his beautiful shoes that he had enough money this time to buy leather for four pairs. That evening, the shoemaker cut out the work again and went to bed. In the morning, he found that the shoes had been made, and then the buyers appeared that same day to buy them all, and his resources and the number of shoes that he planned to cobble continued to grow and grow, and still the shoes were made each as perfect as the very first pair, without him even lifting a finger, other than to cut the leather. The leather that he cut in the evenings was sewn and cobbled while he slept, and all was ready by daybreak. And so it went on like this for some time. Now, the good man and his wife were thriving and well off again, indeed. One evening, about Christmas time, the shoemaker sat with his wife by the fire, and as they chatted together, he said to her, I'd like to know who is doing all of this work for me. Let's sit up tonight and watch and see what happens. The wife liked this idea, So they left a light burning, and they hid themselves in a corner of the room, behind a curtain that was hung up there, and waited. They heard the clock strike midnight. Then there was a slight rustle, and in came two little naked elves. They went straight to the shoemaker's bench, sat down, and took up all of the work that was cut out. Quickly, quickly, they stitched and wrapped and tapped with their little fingers, working so fast that the shoemaker was astounded. Who could imagine such a thing? Elves? He couldn't take his eyes off of them. And so they went on without stopping, working steadily until the job was done, and the shoes stood ready upon the workbench as they had every morning. It was still dark and hours before daybreak when they quietly bustled away as quick as lightning. 
The next day, the shoemaker and his wife sat together for dinner. I've been thinking, she said to him. These little elves, they've, they've made us rich. We should express our gratitude to them and do them a good turn if we can. I imagine that they must be cold, running about naked as they do with nothing on their backs, and uh, honestly, it's, it's not very decent. I'll tell you what. I will make each of them a shirt and pants and a coat and a waistcoat. Why don't you make each of them a little pair of shoes? Now, the shoemaker thought this was an excellent idea. He was grateful to the elves for all of their labors. So the couple went to work on their little project. And one evening, when all of the things were ready, they laid them out on the workbench instead of the work that they usually cut out. Then they went and hid themselves behind the curtain and waited to see what the little elves would do when they saw their new clothes. About midnight, the two little elves came in, dancing and skipping. They hopped around the room, and then they went to sit down to their work, and they saw the clothes laying it out for them. They held them up. They laughed, and they chuckled, and they seemed incredibly delighted. They even sang a little song. Don't we look trim and spruce, they sang. Here's to pleasure, and we're foot loose. They dressed themselves and capered around the room, as merry as could be, until they danced right out of the door. The good shoemaker and his wife never saw the elves again. After that night, they never returned. They didn't cobble another shoe. But the shoemaker succeeded at everything he set his hand to. And all went well with him and his wife for as long as they lived. You might hear a parallel here between the plight of the hard-working shoemaker and the basket maker in the Celtic story that I told a while back about the man without a story. In both cases, we have a man who is very honest and hardworking, a really decent guy who has skill and through no fault of his own falls onto hard times. What we know how to do works well enough until it doesn't. (laughs) Now, In The Man Without a Story, the basket maker ventures into the fairy glen to cut rods for his baskets. He deliberately enters a liminal space. He walks through the veil between the worlds. And he is given, then, with the aid and guidance of his soul, all that he needs to prosper once again. The gifts that he receives are not material. He's given a story, new capabilities, and an expanded sense of himself. And through this, through this evolution, 
in not only his skill, but also the larger sense of himself as a person. He has ways to become prosperous again, and all is good and fine and great. So he goes to a place where those gifts are available, and he's allowed to take them home and integrate them, which is the way I read it. What happens every time he tells his story (laughs) about meeting the strange people, the fairies, in that liminal space. Now that story is archived at mythinthemojave.com, so if you haven't heard it, you can go and listen to it. In the case of our shoemaker here, the elves, that is these envoys or emissaries from another realm, they come to him. They invest the raw materials of his life, the leather, with a finer quality, and he and his wife prosper. We're told that even after they go, everything he tries is a success. And I don't think it's only material wealth. You sense their good hearts and the elevation of spirit between the lines of this simple story, I think. They were never poor at heart, but being informed by their generosity and more comfortable makes them even more so. And of course, the couple expresses their deep gratitude by meeting a need that the elves have by making them close. And then they live happily ever after. Now, we know that giving the clothes, the gifts, that was the right thing to do. And this story has often been summarized as a parable about the virtues of gratitude and giving as well as receiving. And many folks who've adapted this tale emphasize the good character of the shoemaker and his wife and conclude that they received this magical help because they were good people who deserved it. Lots of details get added. The version that I just shared with you is really taken from the Brothers Grimm who added in some details. And the details that got added are things like the bit about the shoemaker saying his prayers. Details that emphasize his piety. But we know that life isn't quite that simple. Why were the elves there? And why did they leave? Elves are not angels, we might note. And so I wonder about this supposed connection to his prayers and his goodness and the arrival of the elves. These religious elements might be pointing to a cultural discomfort with the unknown, don't you think? With the unconscious and the larger mystery that surrounds us. They might be an attempt to rationalize the actions of these pagan quote-unquote figures that populate this story and stories like them. Attempts to kind of civilize the elves, if you will. And the problem with that is twofold. One, it sets us up to think that what we immediately imagine as good is going to be met And while it's comforting to live in a world like that and better to adopt that point of view than to imagine that terrible things are going to follow you no matter what, um, there needs to be a little bit of room in there, I think, for things to go differently. If we make that chain of cause and effect too tight, 
we might strangle ourselves on it. The enduring images of elves and fairies and talking horses and other magical beings in tales like this offer us a way into a more lively and varied space, if you will. And this is reminding me of the difference between the magical realm inhabited by Maleficent, if you saw that film, and that really dreary, hard world of the human beings, and also the war that is waged unprovoked by the men in their dreary, machine-driven world against that beautiful neighboring kingdom. They try to conquer what they don't understand. And I think that we do that a lot with these stories. So we don't really know why they came. But the elves came from that other world. They helped the shoemaker. And then they left under what may be even more puzzling circumstances. The couple gave them a gift. And then they just scampered out the door without a backward glance. It's as if these naked little elves were in a destined servitude to the shoemaker until he liberated them by his generosity. Were they whistling while they work? I don't know. I get the feeling that they had to do, that they were compelled somehow, maybe by rules of that other world, of their other realm. And even the Grimm brothers thought that this part of the story was odd. So let's take a little look at this with our central question in mind. The question being, what is the role of reciprocity in our creative engagement with the mythic dimension? How does expressions of gratitude enable us to take possession of the gifts that were given? Are these even meaningful questions? I don't know. But they're certainly occupying me. Now, I found something very interesting on this subject uh, in a book by Lewis Hyde called The Gift. And this is what Hyde had to say about this story. He suggests that the cobbler has the potential. He has the potential to do something more, something better than what he is doing. His shoes are okay. There's nothing wrong with them, except that there's more available. And we, he experiences this, the shoemaker does, by suddenly having, you know, the money dry up. A space is created for something else to come in. And that space is that space is filled by these elves, which are the bearers of this potential that already belongs to the cobbler. Now, one reason this theory works for me is that all of the activity happens at night which metaphorically, symbolically, is the unconscious in his sleep. The man sleeps while his gift, in the form of the labors of the elves, develops and expands. There's a process here. 
first there's one pair of shoes, and then there's two, and then there's four, and so on. And we can understand this as being the maturation of this potential in the sleeping shoemaker. Why, you might ask, can't the elves make themselves clothes if they can cobble such fine shoes? Well, I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier, that they're limited in a way too. They do what they do because they also need the shoemaker. There has to be an exchange. Now, according to Hyde's reading of this story, the reason that the reciprocating is so important, the giving of the gift of the clothes, and then the reason that the elves leave, is that it is through that exchange that the cobbler takes possession of that capacity, that gift, that was his all along. It becomes his through that expression of gratitude. It becomes his when he steps into the flow by recognizing and acknowledging the help that he's been getting from this other realm. How do you do this, you might be asking yourself. I mean, I'm assuming that you don't wake up in the morning and find that all of the of your work is done. If you are, please contact me immediately because I have a lot of things elves could be doing for me, let me tell you. So let me give you an example, um, one that you can find a lot of information about online and elsewhere in the form of C.G. Jung and the Red Book. Now, in brief, the Red Book represents an extended engagement that Jung had with figures from his dreams that brought him insights, insights that he came to understand first by taking them seriously, secondly, by actively dialoguing and making art, creating a book out of his interactions with these figures. And then thirdly, and this is maybe this is the reason why this is even worth talking about. Um, thirdly, he turned those insights into his psychology, into his life work. Jung says that the information that he got from his experiences and these interactions with figures from the mythic realm, and they they primarily showed up to him as dreams, but he interacted with them also in a waking state. Uh, those became the prima materia. They became the material that he then went on to work for the rest of his life. They gave him the kernels. He didn't produce it himself. He produced it in this relationship. And so if you think about it that way, you may find that there are, in fact, ideas that are visiting you regularly. And if you consider them to be presences that you can entertain, dialogue with, and express appreciation to, you might be surprised about what happens. 
I was reading something by James Hillman recently where he referred to experiencing the creative. That's what we're talking about here. Experiencing the creative, not just being creative or being in a fantasy that your creativity rests solely with you and what you know. Well, so that's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave for this week. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook. You can also contact me through my website, mythicmojo.com. I encourage you to go and check out the archived programs from Myth in the Mojave at the Myth in the Mojave website, conveniently named the same thing as this program. I'd like to remind you, speaking of reciprocity, that Myth in the Mojave and Radio Free Joshua Tree are supported by listeners. So if you like what you're hearing, please go to the Radio Free Joshua Tree website and make a donation. I'd like to give special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music and to Steve Arbio for helping me bring this program to you every week. As always, thank you to you for listening. Please tune in next week, and in the meantime, keep the mystery in your life alive. Mm-hmm.